Welcome back to System Administrative, the podcast where we are absolutely aggressive. This is Brent. I'm Bob. Yeah, step into a slim gym. Yeah. Wait, Jason, you're what? Bob. Bottom. <laughs> oh my god. He's been singing that stu- Do not. Oh He's been god. singing that stupid song all day. He lives You're gonna in, get it stuck in my head. He lives in a blue world. Yeah. <laughs> what? Or something. You don't even know what bump is. I, no, I, don't I care know, you know what bump exactly is. what you're referring to. I don't I'm gonna start singing. No. First into song. No. That's not. That's that's how we get served DMCA's or requests for royalties. <sighs> well, let's call the guy and see if it's all right if I sing it. I think he might be dead. Well, then it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, let's just know. Anyway, this what? is a shout out to Louis Primo, though, who wrote uh, Macarena in 1964. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Did he really? No, no, I no. Doubt that. No, no. It's, uh, it's an inside joke. Oh, okay. Well, the, our, the our, favorite, our favorite person, who shall remain nameless, mm-hmm. edited the Wikipedia page for Macarena and had it say oh, no. Louis Primo in 1964. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to insist that it was like 1995 or whatever. It, yeah, it totally was. But totally, anyways, what, totally was what? 1994, like mid 90s. Oh, yeah. oh, 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 oh. Okay. All right. All right. Can, can I? Can no. I, okay. <laughs> you, you can't sing it. But no, I'm not you, gonna sing. Don't even okay. dare sing it. What? Mostly, I just, I don't ever really get like you know sappy or emotional on the show. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I have been sick since Friday. It is now Wednesday. Oh, yeah. poor boy. No, no, that's not my point. I mean, whatever, poor me. Yeah, I'm sick, whatever. <laughs> Spend a day in the hospital, whatever. But mostly, if any of my co-workers are listening, I just want to extend a very deep thank you because they've all been very generous in offering me rides and guest bedrooms and everything else, and that's all. Mm, I wham away, I that's wham rude. away. Good co-workers <laughs> are, are good. That's good. Nice Glad to hear it. Glad they're, glad they're uh, picking up your slack. Right? Oh, that's definitely not what's going on. <laughs> Seriously, that sounds dude. it. I, I mean, sounds it to me, dude. Anyway, yeah. So what is what is uh what's everyone what's drinking? Up? Oh, I am drinking PBR, Pibber. Wow. Yeah, man. Yeah. That one's not open. Jason, you're not you're not drinking anything, right? No, I'm unwell, so I'm just drinking water. I cannot <laughs> seem to keep myself hydrated. <laughs> unwell. Such a weird way of saying it. I am finishing off a mango smoothie because I don't. Did you get? I the, haven't eaten enough. Did you get the gluten-free so smoothie? No. Oh, okay. There's what? What is a gluten-free smoothie? Listen, man. I I don't know. You weird hippie people are like that. Who's making? No. Who's making their smoothies with bread? I, I don't know. Wait. Man. Here's hey, a better question. Who the fuck are you calling hippie people, dickhead? <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm really not a hippie. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good question. Like, neither one of us are particularly hippie I'm, people. I, I'm, I'm joking, of course. I'm joking, I know. It's the funniest part about it. All right. Anyways, so yeah, so I'm not having anything alcoholic either. We are, we are just taking it in strides. You know what you could have done is added some rum to that. Smoothie. You know what's going to be funny is I'm going to be the drunk one tonight. Yeah. Well, yeah, You're probably drunk every night. Remember <laughs> the shit night. show? I was I was not drunk on the, the one, shit show. Oh my god. The last yeah. one. S2. S1. S1. Whatever the fuck season. I was yeah, definitely not were, drunk on the shit show. You were no, absolutely drunk nope. for that. Nope. You not even. were really, really <laughs> drunk. Nope. Definitely not. Um, I'm pretty sure. Anyways, so we have two main topics tonight. One's really small. Uh-huh. It's just a 
interesting method of password management that's sort of new out there. It's got a browser plugin, whatever. We'll talk more about it then. But what our main topic is, what we'd really like to talk about, is what happens when vulnerabilities and security issues in general are introduced downstream from the actual project from their source. So we'll we'll be talking plenty about that because it's been in the news again and there's tons of misinformation and everything about it. So, I don't know. Peyton, you want to take the news? Oh, man, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear you be so enthusiastic about it. What the heck is going on right now? I don't know. I, uh, that came out of nowhere. That did come out of nowhere. All right, so this is Peyton in the news. We have several articles here. The first article we have is there's an article on cracking libgcrap1024 via a side channel. I'm not going to go into the details of this. It's available in a PDF or a bib text citation. Just check it out. It's pretty interesting. They demonstrate a complete break of RSA 1024 as implemented in libgcrypt. So take a look at that. And a quick note on that. It yeah. is suspected, suspected. that Suspic- they'll be able to do RSA... <laughs> Don't start. That they'll be able to do RSA yeah. twenty forty eight using a very the very same or very similar method. Interesting. I have no idea on RSA for forty ninety six or the RSA three thousand one that nobody ever uses. So no idea if those are vuln, but ten twenty four definitely is. Twenty forty eight probably is. Anyways, keep going. Womp womp. Going. So the next bit of news we have is that. Amazon and eBay images have been broken by PhotoBucket's ransom demand. So PhotoBucket has decided to, since they've been on this since 2003, and they have more than 100 million customers and more than 15 billion images, they have decided to pay, they've decided to start charging a fee for hosting their information, their pictures. And so obviously Amazon and eBay don't want to pay that. Yeah. So it's an annual fee. It's $400. I think that's a little ridiculous for uh, what was was a free service, you know. But hey, so now, so go ahead. Amazon and eBay. Well, I mean, eBay, I can understand, but well, eBay and Etsy. Amazon. Oh, and okay. and Amazon in the, in the and Amazon. Yeah. All right. See, that surprises me because Amazon, I figured, would have their own CDN, and I'm pretty sure they do. Well, I think what's going on is that in the article they have a they have an image. Product images might be hosted on PhotoBucket. Uh, instead yeah, of their right, right. I, I listen, dude. I don't know how people are uploading <laughs> that shit. So you know, it might be for user reviews. Right, possibly. Possibly. That's what I think it might be for. And but even then, like they have plenty of storage. They can't just absorb that cost on their own infrastructure. I don't know, man. Whatever. Sorry. Keep going. It's just it strikes me as silly. It it does strike me as a little silly. So the next article we have is there is a $1,700 secure PC, and I use that with the same quotes that are in the article, secure PC, mm-hmm. will self-destruct if tampered with. It comes with Windows, Ubuntu, or a security-focused Cubes OS. Which we talked about. Which we have mm-hmm. talked about. It's called the ORWL. It's a new kind of PC that takes a die-trying approach to physical device and data security. It's a palm-sized computer, and it's security-focused. It sounds like, if you say that out loud, like oral, oral. it sounds like oral. someone with a speech impediment trying to say oral. owl. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of fucked or up. Or Jathan. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, they could have picked a better acronym they, they could have, or yeah. name or whatever. Definitely. It, it's clumsy sounding. It, it, yeah, it is. It, it definitely is very clumsy sounding. It comes with an inbuilt mesh to protect the secure controller. It has a motion sensor and pressure switch. 
And if it senses tampering, it will wipe any data on the encrypted solid state hard disk. Now, as we discussed last time, an encrypted disk is, is almost impossible to recover. So this is a good thing, or can be. The problem that I have is, of course, uh, what if you accidentally move it without telling you it, you're going to move it, and it wipes all your data for you? Well, I think moving it is okay, but it's like uh, if you crack the case on it, you know, open it up to like, oh no, it's it's about to like, I don't know, it's hitting thermal temps that it shouldn't hit or something. So you need a password and a corresponding wireless key fob just to turn it on. Wireless key fob. And the processor goes to sleep and the USB and HDMI port shut off whenever the key fob moves out of range. I think this is a little... Uh, I don't know. Uh, we'll have to talk about this later or something because... It seems gimmicky. It seems very gimmicky. Completely. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad like people are thinking about the hardware layer now and they're actually but, trying, but it, it still doesn't seem... Yeah. I don't know. It seems weak to me, but yeah. whatever. Yeah. Same. Same, same. Okay. The next bit of news we have is that Ubuntu... The MOTD.Ubuntu.com is currently showing an adver- an advertisement. Mm-hmm. It shows a news item about HBO Silicon Valley, which has a reference to Ubuntu. Instead, it should show relevant items to those that use Ubuntu server, relevant security issues, etc., instead of items for desktop users. I think that this has been fixed. Well, it's possibly been fixed. I mean, we are looking to the bug report. It's probably been resolved, but I find this very frustrating that, you know, they're starting to do this kind of thing. I mean, it's bad enough that Windows 10 does that shit. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So there's that. And we have... Okay, so wind farms, right? Uh, they're a great source of energy. <laughs> they, uh, they're they fantastic. Well, researchers Dr. found out they could hack entire wind farms. So Son of a bitch researchers. Son of a bitch researchers. What? Yeah. So two researchers from the University of Tulsa went into one of these wind turbines they had picked the simple pin and tumbler lock on the turbine's metal door, which, by the way, is actually fairly simple because I found out how to mm-hmm. do lock picking at self. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pin, pin and tumbler picking is super, super easy. easy. So they unplugged the network cable and inserted it into a Raspberry Pi mini computer the size of a deck of cards, and it had also been fitted with a Wi-Fi antenna. He switched on the Pi and attached another Ethernet cable from the mini computer into an open port on a programmable automation automation controller. A microwave-sized computer that controlled the turbine. They closed the door behind them and walked back to the white van. So they were able to do this by... So they couldn't just do it. They had to actually, like, do things to it to do it. So... Yeah, I mean, it's it's not... It doesn't yeah. sound like it's a remote... A native remote exploit. And it, right. They right. did take measures to lock it down, but... Right, right, right. I find this article was hilarious to me because they're hacking the the wind farm but at the same time it's yeah you know well what can we do to ha- oh okay all right you know uh okay <laughs> so wait was this were these like actual malicious actors or was it like a, a security firm or something you know they were from the university of tulsa so i would imagine that they were testing like contracted or something, like that, or something. maybe yeah they have been systematically hacking wind farms around the United States to demonstrate the little-known digital vulnerabilities of an increasingly popular form of American energy production. So I think they're, they are legally allowed to access the facilities, but they, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pen test, essentially. Hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so. Hmm. All right, what's the, what's the next one? The next one's going to be, so you guys may have heard of Petya. Mm-hmm. Well, there's been a live blog by the NCC group. I think it's been taken down, but it was part of the whole, you know, 
part of that whole thing where they were looking at it. There's a, a new ransomware that attacked Holland and Ukraine. I believe that it's spread pretty far. We're actually going to... That's our baddie. We're going to talk more about okay. that. Okay, all right. Well... Yeah. Right. Uh, but but, but so, go ahead. So so this this research that's for Petya as in yeah. 2016. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the well the live incident blog is uh, the most recent one. Okay. That's yeah. That's that's something a little bit different. We'll talk more about that. Yeah. 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 Patty. So the next bit of news we have is that the very secure, wonderfully awesome Windows 10 S was hacked wide open in three hours. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to go into this because hilarity ensues, but yeah. So the hacker named Matthew Hickey, who is a security researcher and co-founder of cybersecurity firm Hacker House, exploited Microsoft Word macros to run a DLL injection attack. So there you go. He uh, he compromised it. Good job. And this is after Microsoft saying it was right. quote unquote unhackable. Right, exactly. And for our final bit of Windows mockery, Heaps of Windows 10 internal builds and private source codes have been leaked online. So the unreleased 64-bit ARM versions and server editions are among the dumped data. There's mm. roughly 32 terabytes of official and non-public installation images and software blueprints that could compress down about 8 terabytes. They were uploaded to a website that's in the article. I won't say it all on the recording unless you guys want to. Mm. No, we'll, we'll, I mean, we'll put it in the notes, yeah, yeah. but we won't, we won't say it on there. The confidential data in this dump was exfiltrated from Microsoft's in-house systems around March. So, yeah, hmm. have fun looking at this. This is uh, this is fantastic. Um, way to go, Microsoft. Uh, you guys are really secure, man. Uh, the best. Wow. And that's Bingo News. Great. That's <laughs> There's some joke about Windows going open source there that I'm sure somebody's already uh, been making. Yeah, I'm sure. Huh. Anyways, so... I'm gonna I'm gonna get the short one out of the way first. Uh, the so there's this new password manager out there. Did you guys get a chance to take a look at this yet? Yep, I read about it all Four day, crux. and I was I was I have a lot of mixed feelings. What are your feelings about it? I like the ideas. I think that you have to be extremely high profile to need it, and there's some things about it that I think are kind of sketch. Like, the fact that it intercepts your HTTP requests. Yeah. That's, like, you know, well, it's great in theory, but if it got compromised, it would be horrible. It uses a cuckoo hashing algorithm. <laughs> yeah, well, let's start by kind of explaining how it actually works before we start, like, getting into the... Before we start tearing sure, it apart. Sure, sure, sure. Because we will. So, the way most interactive password managers work, or automatic, I guess we could say, is you load a website and then it looks up an entry for that URL or domain or what have you in its sort of database. Then if it finds something, it just slaps it into the corresponding fields, corresponding labeled fields. Which doesn't always work uh, right, by the way. Sure. Yeah, it doesn't always work right. But they're, I mean, password managers are getting better and better with this. So they're starting to figure things out. Anyways. Anyways. So that's how most of them work. What this does is it sort of will automatically fill in a username and a password, but it's not going to be your actual username and password. It's going to be something totally random. And the reason of this is for this is sort of like they don't want to let they don't want to give JavaScript access to these passwords. So then what it does is after you put in the after it automatically puts in the dummy password and everything and it renders the response, it then sort of goes in, intercepts it before it reaches the destination, the final the destination server. And then replaces it with the actual credentials to be used. Now, it's a, it's a cool and creative 
approach to the the problem. And it does solve the problem. And it does solve it, but it it feels kludgy to me. It looks you know? kludgy. Yeah. I, well, it's it's still brand new, and like researchers wrote it, so you can't expect it to look the prettiest. But you know, I mean, I it, I definitely would say it's something worth keeping an eye on because it does. I'd say it fixes the problem for certain slash maybe even most circumstances for sure there is only currently a firefox plugin you have to compile it from source yeah i I saw that and i mean on the on one hand it does use a server model but it not only uses a distributed server model it also won't work with anything but your own servers. So you need to set up your own servers to handle this. There's no, the you know, the development company itself doesn't offer their own centralized server or anything like that. Which this means, is all under your control. Exactly, which means ultimately it's up to you to make it secure. Mm-hmm. Which I, I approve of, by the way, but... Yeah, we've, we've talked about that on the show, I think, before. But on the downside, it does mean, like, you... If you're just looking for a quick password manager at that point, you have to... You would have to put in the extra investment of a box and setting it up for this software and things like that so i don't know yeah i'm pretty torn on it too i like the direction they're thinking but i don't know i feel like they have some work to do before it would be anything more than a a proof of concept yeah i mean excuse me um i'm not i'm not going out to switch my password manager by any means Yeah. yeah same and I mean, I use pass for, which most things I just remember. I don't actually, hmm. I don't actually, uh. Yeah, but if you need it, that's Yeah, you know. I, I, I like pass too. I mean, it's, it's so, mine's starting to get a little bit long, but I, I definitely, uh, you know, enjoy using that versus having to worry about like, uh, you know, one password or whatever being compromised. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as far as this though, this is, this is interesting. I, I don't think it's going to work as well as I think it is. I just, I don't know, man. This does not... Hmm. I feel like, uh, you know, it can be... You can write something to, to bypass this uh, this fake credential, you know? Or, well, there... I mean, it doesn't matter because it replaces it after you click the submit button, you know? But more so, like, if you're giving direct DOM access to this thing, what happens if that gets compromised, you know? Yeah. Right, that's, that's my I, thing. Really. Yeah. And I can see this failing if you're working for somebody who intercepts, you know, HTTP already, you know? Like, well, like, the the thing is, the way this works, like, I think it'd be really hard to know that someone was actually fucking with that, you know... No, they wouldn't, yeah. Exactly, and that's why, to me, it almost seems, you know, like, I understand why they do it, it does solve a legitimate problem, but I also think it introduces some really interesting dangers that people might not think about. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's basically one of the first implementations of this new methodology that's actually been around since, oh, I don't know. When did did they propose the idea? 2014. So it's been, the idea itself has been around for like three years, but this is the first attempt at a usable implementation of that. Right. But yeah, as with anything new, of course it does have weird things that we're not going to expect. Yeah. Which brings me into the next segment. So, now that that's out of the way, it's, it's, you know, just a really quick thing I wanted to mention so you could look at it. But moving into something a little bit more interesting and, and s- sort of spurred by a half-heated, half-drunk debate on... <laughs> what was it? like? It was like on, on Sunday, maybe? Yeah, it was, it was... No, I thought it was Monday night. I don't know. 
I don't no, think so. No, maybe it was Sunday. I was pretty down and out on Monday night, and yeah. I was around for this. Maybe it was. I think. I think you're right. I think it was Sunday evening. Anyways, now I won't say who, but but he knows. He he knows. Yeah. I'm not trying to guilt trip the guy or anything, Jathan. I'm <laughs> just saying. But a, a certain person who is in our IRC channel frequently, <laughs> and I got into a discussion about this latest system D quote unquote vulnerability. I'm sure you've heard of it by now. If not, I'll link it in the show notes. Supposedly, if you provide a, a if you write a unit file, which you have to do as root, by the way. So it's this the you amount of you whatever. I'll, I'll get into root. that. You have to install it as root, though. Okay, right. You have to install it as root, enable it as root, start it by root, and all that. Supposedly, if you specify a particular user to run this unit. And this doesn't work for user-level unit files, of course. Of course. Because you can't specify other users to run for your own user jobs. It has to be a system-level job. Anyways, for these units, if you specify a different user to run it as to execute that command, and that username starts with a number, an integer, then the process will run with root privileges. Now, I think a couple things need to be said about this before we can continue, because I'm sick of this bullshit. Like... (laughs) Everyone who's trashing this doesn't understand some key concepts that are laid out right in the actual issue report on GitHub. Well, okay, yeah. Yeah, right? Well, uh, so what I was going to say is the person in question who who we were talking with about this, Mm -hmm. you know, 50 plus percent of their problem was not necessarily the issue itself so much as how the maintainers handled it. But I think that's a separate discussion, so I don't want to go there. Yeah, I think we can talk about it a different day. I still, and he knows this, I still don't really have an issue with how it was handled either because of why we're even talking about this in the first place. But yeah, that's a different topic for a different episode, but one I think we'll definitely have. But I do see a lot of sensationalism about it on Twitter and things like that. Now, the issue is, this isn't a System D thing. I mean, System D wrote according to the spec of Shadow Utils, of libuser. They looked at what constitutes a valid username, and they coded to that spec. They coded to that requirement. They coded to those restrictions. The problem, and this is where we're really getting to the, the sort of crux of, of this topic, is that downstream patched out those restrictions. So Debian and CentOS 7... Debian 8, probably, because I don't I don't think Debian 7 used SystemD, from what I recall. Do you remember? Pretty sure you're correct in saying that. Yeah. Okay. I'm not 100% sure. I, but I, I'm not I either. So. I don't use Debian. Or yeah, I haven't used Debian really. in years. It was my first sister, and I haven't really used it since. But probably only Debian 8 and only Debian 7, uh, CentOS 7, to our knowledge. There might be other distros that do it, too, but... Those are the only two that were confirmed. Ubuntu probably as well, since they're primarily Debian-based, so they probably share a lot of patch sets. Anyways, these distros took the upstream source of Shadow Utils and patched out the restrictions. <laughs> Normally, on upstream, like on upstream vanilla source Shadow Utils, it is completely invalid to create a user that starts with an integer. Because why would you? I mean, that's okay, they, well, that restriction has always been in place. So let's get this straight, right? Yes. This is a Linux standard, correct? As much of a standard as you can have, yes. Okay, so I guess I have two questions. Yeah. I am under the impression that the, this is in air quotes, standard exists because 
that way you could reliably and easily determine a, a UID versus a, a username mm-hmm. just by checking if it started with a number or not, right? Yep. I mean, okay. that's, that's, I okay. presume that's why that's, that was their reasoning behind it. Yeah. So why do you suppose that CentOS 7 and others patched that out? Quote, unquote, feature. It's not a bug. It's a feature. <laughs> sure. But what does it enable someone to do? I mean, who really is upset that they can't name their user starting with the number zero? I, oh. uh, I don't know, but <laughs> apparently people are doing it. <laughs> yeah. They shouldn't be because that that's not going to work on, you know, that's not interop- interoperable. And yeah. So another thing is POSIX doesn't really... It sort of makes a recommendation that you shouldn't use integers to start a username, but it doesn't make a hard requirement of it that you not do that. That's mostly Linux, but I mean, again, System D is only Linux, so it doesn't really matter. It's not really relevant to this particular discussion, but it is important to note that the Linux utilities that manage this, that provide the API for user creation and user lookup and things like that, shadow the shadow database, they have the restriction in place. As for why it was removed, I can only imagine just because some users were complaining that they couldn't start a username with a number, which is, you need to draw the line somewhere, you know? Like, don't don't just arbitrarily patch stuff out for giant li- libraries that are used by almost everything, you know? Yeah, right. I don't know. So, that being said, it's important to note that this quote-unquote integer username not being parsed correctly system debug is actually not a system debug it's a debian and centos and probably ubuntu bug it's the package maintainers for those distros that even made this possible in the first place now so yes well i was gonna say so this is where you know the issue really comes in mm-hmm. yeah so this is and so this is where it gets all fucking heated because is... it's system d and just people automatically hate system d for whatever reason right yeah, I yeah, uh, I I don't understand the hate really. I uh, you know, as far as this is concerned, I don't understand why people are making a zero day or any kind of integer username and then trying to use this. Well, I think it was just an example, obviously, but yeah, sure. And so I, so obviously the issue here is is this a bug in System D? And there's some people who are calling for you know a CVE to be filed and all this other shit, but it's not. In the bug report for this on GitHub for System D, which, which we'll we will to. link to, yep. yeah, you know, it is a long thread because, of course, you got some real fucking ass hats that chimed in for a while and whatever. But there is an explanation for why the behavior is the way it is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's sort of—I don't want to say passed off, but it sort of is. It's like it's passed off as an upstream bug, and so I go two ways about this, right? Like you could well, say downstream bug, but yeah, yeah, I guess technically, yeah. So you could say, well. It doesn't matter who introduced the bug. System D could fix it, so they should. Mm-hmm. Or you could say, no, the, the lib user people or whoever, they should fix it because it's actually something they did. So I could see this going two ways, right? Either CentOS or really, you know, probably Red Hat developers are going to have to... Remove the patch where they remove that. Yeah. Just... Or they're going to have to patch System D every time they update it to do their own checking Assuming which, System D doesn't patch it themselves. Which is why which, I, I hate these, like, extra quote-unquote features that all these quote-unquote user-friendly distros try and do. Because you, you patch one thing and they can either remove the feature that they added erroneously mm-hmm. and should not have done, or they start patching other stuff and the problem just compounds. 
But sorry, you were you were making your way to a point. Well, no, I mean, that really is the point. That's the whole meat of this discussion is where should this bug? And, and I'm, I don't I don't think it's really a bug when. But I'm saying bug because that's what it's being described as. Mm-hmm. Where should this bug really get fixed? And I think that the person we were talking with about this in channel was very firmly in favor of it being fixed in both places. Mm-hmm. And there's part of me that agrees with that. But if every project fixed every again, I'm putting this in air quote, mm-hmm. bug that was introduced by some other, you know, piece of Linux, the scope creep on these projects and the amount of excess code and the number of times that everybody was checking for the same goddamn thing would be fucking outrageous. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I and understand... to keep track yeah. of. I understand... For pending issues, yeah. Sorry. No, 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 you're fine. It just, it would be so much overhead for these projects to all maintain, you know, strict checking of all these things when, mm-hmm. you know, you take a low level sort of library or system function, like creating users that are valid or not or whatever. Mm. At that point, you know, I used the example the other night of SSH, like SSH doesn't do its own validation of users because there's obviously a whole operating system that's responsible for that under SSH. Mm-hmm. And SSH developers should not have to do that because... It should be on on the operating system itself, like the kernel. Well, not not the kernel, really, or, but yeah, what whatever plugin you're using or whatever, whatever auth system, correct? Correct, yeah. yeah. I don't know, so I go back and forth about this. Like, I understand why it's urgent. I understand why it's an issue, but it also sort of raises the point. Like, you know, CentOS is an enterprise distro. Mm-hmm. But they do these things to make things better for who? I don't know, because I don't know of anybody who's, you know, leveraging this. But at the same time, you know, it obviously wasn't vetted very well because it more or less broke some piece of the init system in a sense. Yeah. I don't know. It's frustrating. Yeah. I mean, the way the way I pointed it out is, and I'm going to pick on CentOS specifically because we'll we'll be talking more about Ubuntu and uh, Debian in a second here with another <laughs> very similar, very similar case. I mean... CentOS is making these changes to upstream source and then, you know, they're they're patching these restrictions out specifically, or maybe they're adding features in some other cases. But the point remains, they're making, they're modifying upstream software. Now, they're also implementing other software that depends on this software. And for upstream to have to keep track of every single, and this harkens back to what Jathan was saying, but just phrased differently, to have to keep track of every single dependency your project has across every single distro to make sure their package maintainers aren't doing something weird that you don't expect that deviates from upstream, from your dependencies upstream, that's madness. I'm sorry, but that's just not possible to do. And that's a really unrealistic expectation, I think. So, yeah, yeah like while it'd be great for both ends to fix it, there's no liability here on System D's hands because they didn't cause the breakage. They didn't. They looked at the upstream source. They saw the restriction and requirements, and they said, "Okay, yeah, we now know what is a valid username and what isn't. We can rely upon that for our parsing." Only they couldn't because well, they, they could downstream- for a while. <laughs> well, right, but they couldn't because downstream was changing what upstream was specifying. In this case, upstream specification referring to shadow utils and things like that, and. Yeah, so that was, it's basically a rehash of what Jathan said, but with a little bit more perspective. Like, it's just not possible to do that. Yeah. I don't know. I got super heated about it. <laughs> People who were in the, and not like, I wasn't like cussing them out or anything, but like, well, I don't know. the other thing 
to mention here is, you know, we've talked about systemd a million times because it's sort of new in the Linux world. Mm-hmm. And it's a very polarizing topic, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's one that I think for the most part, we all fall on the same side of, of yeah, the we, sort of we all We all love I it. I like systemd. I really, really do. Well, like it. We all like it. I'd love it. But... And, I, and I'm not just saying that to be, you know, a bandwagon or anything else. I mean... I hated it until I, I actually started learning how to use it. Yeah. It was extremely fucking frustrating for a long time. Like, mm-hmm. what is this system CTL bullshit? Why <laughs> right. do I have to set NTP with some special BS, right? Yeah. Which you don't have to do, by the way, but you should. Right, right, right. But it's handier. Yeah. Yeah. So, but system D, honest to God, I think has made my job easier. Yeah. I, Writing yeah. unit files is so fucking simple. It's great. Five unit minutes, files that five work minutes well. Five done. Yeah. And that was something that it's with like a, magic. a traditional init script was not at all easy to do. It wasn't Correct. something that, like, you could just go on the internet, spend 10 minutes, and all of a sudden, you know, have something that was working. Like, you had to do it a few times and know what the fuck you were doing. Yeah. So that's part of it. But, you know, where I was really going with this is, yeah, systemd is a polarizing thing. And using something like this to shit on systemd and say, this is why it's bad and blah, 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 yeah. is just fucking unreasonable because... Not it, even that. It's it's false. <laughs> you know, like people are linking directly to the GitHub issue and not reading the entire thread. If they did, they realize, oh, wait, this actually doesn't do anything for the argument I'm trying to make at all. And I, that's what drives me nuts about this. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I keep interjecting, but like this is like I'm sick of seeing all this bullshit. Well, and it is bullshit. It's stupid. Like and the same thing, right? Like nobody's fucking making you use it like. People are pissed off that Debian chose System D, but obviously some people came together and made that decision, and it was for a reason. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you know System D is better or not better or whatever, but the maintainers of Debian, not all of them obviously, but whoever had the clout to do it, they chose to fucking go with System D, and now people are moving to Devon or whatever it's called. I think it's Devon. I don't. I don't know. Whatever. I don't, yeah, I don't even know. Doesn't matter. But in any case, you can go use another distro that doesn't use systemd if you want. So I don't know why you're spending time complaining about it. Slackware is still viable. <laughs> sure. Still kicking. You can run Gentoo without it still. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Linux from scratch. I don't yep. think you can use Arch without it at this point. There are people who do, but it's it's got a lot of work you have to put into it initially. Yeah. Yeah. But in any case, the point is like the best part about open source software and Linux in general is you have the choice to use what you want to use for whatever reasons you deem important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, does that mean some people are switching to like free BSD from Linux? Yeah. Do I think that's smart? No, but is it really my place to say, do I actually give a shit? Also? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at yeah. the same time, like if you're going to do that, then just fucking do it and stop whining. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like stop whining, <laughs> stop whining. Stop whining. Yeah, I don't understand, like, why people are even bitching about it at this point if they don't even use it. Like, that's... Whatever. I didn't mean to have this turn into another System D episode. But it always does. Not always, just sometimes. It's just... It's so annoying to see some bullshit like that or just linking to an issue and not even reading it. Anyways, so the point there, all of that that I'm trying to make is we have these issues that are sort of created by downstream implementations of what downstream maintainers and downstream software packagers think are good ideas and then they turn out to break stuff and then we also have a sort of double standard 
when choosing what upstream to blame for those downstream mistakes. Obviously, with all the hatred for it, SystemD got a ton of blame for this, even though they didn't do jack shit to cause it. However, back in 2008, I think, 2004, something like that, Debian, the Debian maintainer for the OpenSSL package, just arbitrarily commented out, like, three or four lines from one oh. of the source files because it was giving Valgrind errors. And Valgrind is like a, a source code sort of verifier and things like that. He just commented out to stop the errors. So, you know, That's done. funny to me. What it ended up doing uh. is severely shortening the key space. So now, as a result of that, you had OpenSSH giving access to, like, key-based off access to people who could generate your key based on the public key, I think, in about 15 to 45 minutes is about how long it took to generate a key. I tried a couple myself back then. It was terrifying. Now, that thankfully has been fixed, and they fixed it pretty quickly once they discovered it. But it's the same exact shit. Nobody came barreling after OpenSSL for a Debian maintainer's mistake. They went after the Debian maintainer. So why is it happening to SystemD in this case? I mean, I know why, but... You know, like, it's just, it's silly. It's absolutely silly. Whatever. Yeah, so, I, I mean, the whole OpenSSL, OpenSSH thing with Debian, exact same, exactly the same thing. I don't know. So, I mean, why does this matter? Why is this a big deal? Because when we put more flack on upstream to fix stuff that they didn't even cause, that takes resources away from actually stabilizing their product and actually developing their own product. Instead, they have to babysit bullshit maintainers who just make arbitrary patch decisions downstream hmm. that's ridiculous to me yeah you that's, know that's crazy and further we should be holding these maintainers responsible for the mistakes they made they should have their communication with what other maintainers in their own project are doing should be so good that this should never happen in the first place you know that's a problem with your your project at that point not upstream and i i don't know I think as far as where it comes from, it's purely just user-friendly cruft, you know? Yeah. I'm getting fired up about this. Can you tell? It's happening no, again. No, I can't tell. <laughs> Shut up. But, like, this I is what this happens. I think this motherfucker needs a hug. No, I don't. I'm fine. But, like, this is what happens when you try and make stuff more user-friendly without having a more holistic view on the, on the system and the impacts it has. This is why I think Ubuntu is a piece of fucking trash. Because they try so hard to make it user-friendly, and, like, in the process, they break shit. Yeah. They break what you expect. You can't, like, when an Ubuntu system breaks, you can't even approach it like a Debian system anymore. It's now its own monstrosity. Because they have so many weird hooks in all sorts of different places, and if one of those things break, you're gonna notice. I don't know. I, (sighs) I think just... Moving forward, I think distros and other people who deal with upstream source would be, it would be greatly beneficial for them to increase their own inter-project communication, you know? I think if they got to a point where they look at the dependencies of a package they maintain and then contact the maintainer of those packages saying like, hey, do you make any changes from upstream? Let's examine them and let's compare that against the code in this and let's see what possible issues might arise. That'd be a very proactive stance. I realize that's also unrealistic. That's a lot of work for package maintainers. But that's a hell of a lot better of a solution and much more thorough than expecting upstream to uh, try and account for mistakes of downstream. 
for corner cases that downstream causes by their bullshit patching. I don't know. I think I'm just about done with this. There's there's yeah. been plenty of other issues yeah. like this through the years. Those are just an old and a new example of it. But I don't know. I it's just it drives me nuts when people don't understand like the actual situation and then they just sort of sensationally act upon that. I okay. can understand that. Jathan's just like you need to calm down. Let's just take it down. I'm down. I'm 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 easy. Jathan, are you ready for the baddie? I guess I'm ready for the baddie. You 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 didn't sound very convinced. I really have to pee. Well, I've been trying to drink a lot of water since I'm sick, and all I have to do is pee like 24 seven. Oh my gosh. (sighs) Do we we need to have you go pee and then have edit out? Cut it out? No. No? Oh, just go. Are you gonna do this? Just break my bladder for the fans. Oh All right, God. here we go. So earlier we talked about Petya or whatever the freaking hell it's Petya. called. Petya. So this this baddie is going to the creators or maintainers or responsible party for the Petya. Not the no. variant. What? Oh, it, it's, variant. oh, it's a variant. It's not Petya. Yeah. Okay, not so there was yet. Petya, and then like the same day there was not Petya no. going around. No. We were, yes. 20... Petya was in 2016, and then recently, about a week or two ago, they thought they saw it coming around again, only they looked deeper into it and discovered it actually wasn't Petya. All right, but it in was any something case, that looked similar to it. In any case, basically, the people who were distributing this malware, this ransomware, they were demanding about $300 US dollars in Bitcoin to unscramble your data, which, which um, by the way, if you had backups, you wouldn't have to pay. But it's not even... Before we go on, I didn't mention this in the baddie summary in our notes, by the way, Jathan. But I should mention this now. It's not even a ransomware. It just trashes your boot sector. Oh, wow. That's lame. <laughs> yeah. We're fucking amateurs. <laughs> but I, I, I think it might also delete actual like data files. I know it definitely replaces the bootloader. But it there's no way to recover the data. Okay. That's funny. Well, like, what let's the just <laughs> Yeah, but keep going. Keep going. Yeah, let's take a step back and talk about what's important here. Okay. <laughs> When this popped up on your screen, you know, you had a address to send your Bitcoin to. Mm. You had to send your installation key that was listed on your thing to this email address, and they would send you a key once they verified that you paid them to unlock it. Mm-hmm. Why is this shitty? And why is the person who was giving the malware getting a baddie? Well, they were using an email address that wasn't self-hosted, and the provider of said email shut down their inbox. So then... <laughs> People who were sending emails to get their fucking things unlocked couldn't get in touch with this person. So effectively, one, they couldn't receive the data, basically. They couldn't get their data back. Number two, the person who deployed this malware, ransomware, whatever bogus bullshit this was, couldn't get paid and also couldn't help people unlock their shit. So you get a baddie for being the world's worst worst worst. malware distributor ever. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> do better next time. Or, also, it's... Or, yeah. Well, alternatively, just don't be an asshat, but... Well, yeah, but also, and you didn't mention this either, but it's also super easily thwarted. You literally, like, create one file in your System32 or whatever it is directory. You create, like, one file with a certain file name, and that's it. That's all you need to do. You're immune against it. It's a, it's a terrible piece of software. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways... So good, that was our good baddie. Good job to you, you suck, sir. Yeah. That was Here's your baddie. Yeah, I didn't really do a good job with that baddie, but I don't Did care. you want to do it again? No. Okay. I think I think you gave that baddie's recipient the amount of energy they deserve. Yeah, you're not high energy, bitch. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> but you're me, so... 
I'm high energy. Yeah, we get that. That's a recurring theme of season two now. <laughs> if I weren't sick, I'd be beating my chest right now and yelling. I don't... You should do it anyways. No. <laughs> no. I'm sweaty. I'm in my closet. It'd be weird. Gross. All right, well, with that, I think we're going to call it quits before Jathan makes it even weirder. This is Brent. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Peyton. Thanks for joining System Ministry Trivia. See ya. Net neutrality is the principle that the company that connects you to the internet doesn't get to control what you do on the internet. What you do all, 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 what you do on the internet. That ISP should not be in a position to be a, you know, a gatekeeper or a toll booth or someone who gets to decide that, yeah, yeah, this part of the internet, it's only really going to work if if we, if we sit, if we want to work. You end up in like crazy corners of the internet with rich sources of information, but you know, not getting millions of hits a, a day. <laughs> And those are the kind of sites that really lose out the, when you bifurcate the internet and slowing down big chunks of When that happens, and all of a sudden, it doesn't eliminate the power of the ISP, it becomes still an incredibly hard fight. But that's where the balance comes out. Of course, cynical, and they're like, oh, there's nothing you can do when you have the entrenched forces. And I think that it has been the story of everyday really pushing back against huge incumbent ISP interests and winning and just like winning battle after battle after battle it's not done but there is an ability to push And so we're going to need to kind of mobilize everyone. And so the thing that you can do now is make sure you are engaged. So when the call goes out, it finds you. And then you can Every mind, 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 every mind